0: I'm Trent Alexander-Arnold.
1: I'm Curtis Jones. I am Cody Gagbo. Putting on the Liverpool toffee the first time, it was a dream come true and I'll never forget that moment.
0: Pre-order the new LFC 24-25 season night home kit now. You
2: can pre-order it today for delivery from the 16th of May at your official LFC stores. Online at liverpoolfc.com forward slash store and on the official LFC store app. You will never walk alone. with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms, and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today.
1: Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carol Matchett. How are you, sir?
0: Regaling in the glory of one of the most magnificent performances in living memory.
1: <laughs> We're recording the, I won't say morning, but it's definitely not morning, the afternoon after Liverpool 2 Union St. gilloise nil in the Europa League at Anfield. A game in which Liverpool did a lot of huffing and puffing, uh, did a lot of sloppy things but managed to come away with a 2-0 victory. Ryan Gravenberg scoring his first goal for the club after a bad goalkeeper error. And then Diogo Jota after a pretty abysmal performance, wrapping it up in the 92nd minute. Um, Carol, over the, the 90 minutes, or 95 or whatever it was, 2-0 was fair because we did dominate the first half and should have been a couple of goals up um couple of bad misses, particularly a really bad miss by Darwin. second half was a bit more even, but it was largely because we got really complacent, I thought, and we're, we gave them opportunities. Um, what did you make of the game? And am I right in, in thinking that the only thing that matters is the three points because these group stage games are basically just fitness exercises for us?
0: Largely so. I think um that we should have been probably three up by half time to be honest. We were quite good, I thought, in the first, you know, twenty, twenty five minutes in terms of the movement and the speed of play and opening the defense and creating chances. And, you know, if Salah's taking his one on one and Darwin tucks away his both of those were relatively routine finishes, to be perfectly honest for, for those players. Um, then it would be a very good first half. Um we'd have been comfortable for the points. But you're right, it is just about the win. And as we said after the last match as well, um, you um, once you've won an away game, if you could just wrap up the points at home, you're through. And that's all that really is the target in these opening six fixtures. So I don't think that the quality of 90 minutes can really be complained about too much as long as... A lack of clinical edge obviously doesn't count against us in the final score. If it had been, you know, one-one, then yes, we can look back and say that was silly, or you know, people played when they shouldn't have done, or whatever. But I think at the minute, after the result, we can say that that was fine to be not the greatest game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. So up next in the Europa League, we will face Toulouse at home on October twenty-sixth. Now, they beat last 1-0 last night, uh, Gabriel Suazo with the only goal of the game. If we can get the two wins over them, which we should, uh, we will have 12 points. And that will pretty much guarantee us not just qualification to the next round, but topping the group. Um, And that's really important because then you get a bye and the teams that finish as runners up, they're the ones that have to greet the teams dropping in out of the Champions League. So beat Toulouse home and away. We should top the group, but we'll still have that last game at home to, you know, as, as a little cushion. Um, obviously, we should go away to Union and beat them as well. But winning the next two should just see it all nice and comfortable for us.
0: Uh, Yeah, that's um, exactly right. Basically, if we can do the back-to-back and get 12 points on the board, you know, you can perhaps start to rotate. I mean, we have largely, as we've said, spoken about two different teams and certainly the the cup team last night was a bit more mixed, but I think it was pretty well done, to be honest. There was obviously a plan of giving certain players 45 and that was stuck to regardless of scoreline. Like I said, it, it should have been dead and buried at that point anyway, but I think it was a pretty good way to do it. And then, if you get to the last two games, and you can, you know, literally put in who you want, maybe give another kid a chance. Maybe one of those two goalkeepers who were on the bench may get their Mm. opportunity to make a debut as well. Um, Greav and Callagher obviously is preferably the one who's going to get game time, but as we've seen before, and as has happened to be the case this time, he seems to pick up badly timed injuries and other absences.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, he's just unfortunate. Um, this was an, a real opportunity for him, and we don't know how long he's going to be out, so it's a wait and see. But I do think, like like you said, if we can win the next two, then perhaps Pitaluga could get the Union game away and Yaros could get the home game at home if Kelleher's not back. Um, And, and that would be hugely beneficial to both of those young goalkeepers a couple of players I just wanted to get your view on from last night. I thought Gerald Kwanzaa was outstanding in a defence with the club vice captain, an England international, a French international, and a Greek international. I thought the 20-year-old was the one that really stood out and had the, the best performance of the four.
0: Yeah, agreed. I thought he was really good, to be honest. Um, defensively, wasn't, again, for the first 70 minutes or so that I thought he had too much to do, but that last 20 minutes or so, they did go at him a few times. There was a couple of runs in behind him. There was the clearance from uh, Allison, obviously spilling, and he reacted really well to all of them. Um, Even the one where, I can't remember which forward it was, sorry, one of them threw themselves to the floor in the penalty box after like you know a hand on the shoulder sort of thing. He, He didn't even react to it. He was just sort of focused on making sure the ball was sort of cleared away and that, and it was a very, very strong performance overall.
1: Yeah, Kevin Rodriguez. Now, that was the one moment I was a little bit concerned about because we have seen them given before, where you just get a referee who's just looking for a reason to give something and a hand on the back. You know, you remember the, was it Lovren on Calvert Lewin? It was definitely Lovren, but I think it was Calvert Lewin uh, at Anfield some years ago. Just put a hand on his back. Stupid. And Calver Lewin fell over and the referee was looking for a reason and gave the penalty. Thankfully, last night's referee wasn't looking to make it all about himself. Um, what I really like about Quantz as well is he's he's got that really kind of even, even keel to him, where he doesn't get flustered. But there's just certain times where he does a really good bit of defending. And you can see him kind of psych himself up and, and almost like a little celebration of it. And I think that's good because it shows what matters to him. It matters to him to do the fundamentals well, to play well, to defend well. He knows what he's in the team to do and he seems to really care. So that's always positive. And then the second player is Ryan Gravenberg. Now, I thought he had a better first half than second half. Um, and we talked about it on Raw last night. His pressing is still a bit hit and miss, but he, he now knows who he's meant to press and when he's meant to press and he's getting to the right places. So I think we're seeing gradual development from him in real time. Obviously, there's no doubting the talent the kid has on the ball. There's a couple of lovely little moments he had last night, but two assists and now a goal. The first Liverpool player in quite a while to have two assists and a goal in his first three starts. Harry named who it was since last night, and I can't think. But he's he's making the most of the minutes he's getting and potentially lining himself up to be the one who steps in for Curtis Jones here at the weekend. Milan Baros. That's Milan who it was. was who, uh, Milan either scored or assisted. Yeah.
0: Um, yes, um, I think I have... Birch just a bit ahead of Harvey Elliott to start. I thought Elliott had a, a good first half as well, to be honest. I thought he was very energetic yeah. and really driving forward well. He carried the ball. He he was very proactive in in everything he was doing, passing and defensive work. So I was quite pleased with him last night as well, to be honest. But I do think Birch just a little bit ahead um, as much as anything else because he's the one who's been playing from the left. But again, last night we did see, at times in the first half, good dovetailing between the left and right-sided uh, switching channels at times. That was good to see.
1: Yeah, agreed with that. Agreed with that. Um, just a quick aside on Milan Barros. I I still have such a soft spot for him. A, an incredibly frustrating player at times. But when it worked with him, I thought he was really, really good. Yeah,
0: I like Barros a lot. Sorry, um, that's it when it was... Him and Cissé, I really wanted to see the two of them in tandem at times, but it wasn't really a system we ever played. But I, I liked Barros a lot. He was always really good, especially in the Derby. So that that was enough.
1: Yeah, if you if you can do well against against the Blues, that's that's definitely going to win you a place in Hearts. And He went on to have a good and lengthy career even after leaving us. He, he bounced around Eastern Europe and played a couple of times in Turkey, went home and played in, in the Czech Republic for a couple of different clubs, but he, he's not still playing. He's still playing. That can't be right. I refuse to accept that Milan Barros is still playing. Now, he, he retired last year, wasn't he? he? Well, he said he was going to retire in 2020, and I think he's, he came back after that. He's 41 years of age. Be 42 in a couple of weeks. So an early happy birthday to Milan Barros. Um, look, Champions League winner. That's really all that matters. Milan Barros won the Champions League with Liverpool and was an important player in that run, scored some important goals. And I always liked him as the nine with Gerard as the 10 because the work rate of the two of them, like we weren't necessarily a pressing team under Rafa, but when we decided to pin teams back, those two made it near impossible to play out through us. Um, Yeah, Milan Barros, cracker. Uh, right, on to this weekend then. Liverpool will take on Brighton in the Premier League. Now, Brighton have had a strange season so far. Some outstanding performances and then a couple of diabolical outings. So they hammer Luton on the opening day 4-1. No surprise there. Then they go to Wolves and they hammer them 4-1. And Wolves had just gone to Old Trafford and played really, really well. So that was a pretty good performance and a pretty good result. Then they get beaten 3-1 at home by West Ham. And it's almost entirely of their own making. Then they go... And hammer Newcastle. 3-1 doesn't reflect the scoreline of that. That doesn't reflect what happened in that game. Then they go to Old Trafford and they beat them 3-1 and completely dominate them. And then they beat Bournemouth 3-1. And at that point, they're flying and looking like a team that maybe could be a real Champions League contender for this season. And then they go to Villa Park and get absolutely pumped 6-1. And again... Much of it is their own doing. Now, we spoke about De Zerbi when he was appointed, and we talked about you know the, the football is fantastic to watch, but there are some serious flaws in his defensive makeup because he asks an, an awful lot of his centre-backs. And if he had, say, Virgil and Canate and Alisson behind them, that would be one thing but he's trying to play a style of football that doesn't really work at against quick physical strikers when you've got Lewis Dunk and Adam Webster and then Jason Steele behind them, who frankly is not very good. Do you think is it with deserve, is it just, because I think it's a personnel thing. I think you put him at Liverpool with the defenders and goalkeeper we have, and I think it all works. Or do you think, is it, is it actually a stylistic flaw or that's, that's just not going to be a, a, a systematic flaw, I should say, that's not going to be... that's going to hold him back from winning the biggest honours.
2: Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index.
0: Um, I don't think that his style is the issue. I mean, we've seen teams and managers with all sorts of styles be successful when things go well for them, but I do think that they need the way they play for people to all be on it and everything going not perfectly, but you know, really according to the plan, basically. If, if a few people are off it, that system does fall apart a bit. Because it is you know it's it's reliant on people performing their roles very, very precisely, it's less about the let's say the organization of the ball of a uh, Newcastle in Europe and much more about what Brighton themselves do with the ball there's you know I'm not saying that there's no defensive or organization traits or anything like that. I just think it's a lot more reliant on them being really really on their game and on the ball, so I think it's fine for them to play that way. I don't think Brighton are likely to be pushing for great honours with this squad anyway. I think they're already arguably achieving as much as could be expected of them and a little bit more. That is at least in part down to the same system. So I don't think that you can sort of have it both ways personally. Um, If he had a Liverpool team, a better team, better defence, better individuals, then sure, yes, you would expect uh, more success as, as a direct result of that. And again, I do think that that's possible regardless of situation, uh, regardless of tactical approach. You just have to have the right players uh, able to play in that way that you want them to. So I think that it's, you know, a little bit of a double-edged sword in terms of people really loved how Brighton were last year and expect them to do well again. And there's two things at play here. One is obviously the fact that this is going to be the first time they've had to juggle competitions during the week and then again Mm. on the weekend and still have to be relentlessly good. That's a really big adaptation process. And secondly, is those players were great last season, but they hadn't been great previously. I mean, great players. So it's it's a really, really big thing and an underestimated thing, how difficult that is to not just be great for a year, but be great and then carry on, be great. And then again, and go and be great again and never let those standards drop. And maybe having to do it for this group of players on such a regular basis is one step too far. And that's, you know, that's okay. That's understandable, at least for some. But they will have to obviously manage that and work out which players can do it on a more regular basis if they want to stay at the same.
1: Yeah, that's fair. And obviously, in the summer, they did sell their two best players, Alexis McAllister to us, Moises Caicedo to Chelsea. Uh, they also sold Robert Sanchez. They had, I think, an excellent summer uh, in terms of the business they did. While they got undervalued for Alexis, they got well overvalued for Caicedo. Like a hundred and fifteen millions, probably about forty million over what his value should be. Uh, I'm not a fan of Robert Sanchez at all. So to get twenty five plus add ons for him was a great deal. So I think overall they did really well with the selling, and then in terms of players coming in, again I think they did really well. I really like Joe Pedro. I think he's going to be a top player. Moda Hood on a free is a is a really good signing. I think he's been impressive when he's played. I'm a big fan of Bart Verbruggen. I think he's the best young keeper in the the world. Igor Julio is decent. I'm not a massive fan. They looked at other options and just he was the one they landed on. He hasn't had a great start yet, but he's not played a whole bunch either. Uh, Carlos Beliba is a big swing. They paid a lot of money for him, but he's a hugely talented young midfielder. They tried to sign Mohamed Kudus as well. And then that one fell apart because Kudus' agent wanted a buyout clause and Brighton don't like to do those. I think had they gotten him, it would have really given them a huge boost on top of what they already have. But the players they brought in, obviously, they they also signed um, James Milner on a free. Now, there's been too much James Milner this season so far. But... You can see why they brought him in with, as you mentioned, having this European campaign to try and manage as well. And just having a player who knows how to do that weekend, midweek, weekend, midweek, nonstop for the whole season is beneficial. He'll help those players get themselves prepared to be able to play those two high-level games each week. They haven't had a great start to their Europa League campaign They lost 3-2 at home to AEK Athens, um, but they got a good point last night away to Marseille. Having gone 2-0 down, they came back and got a draw, and now they'll face two games against Ajax, which will be massively important for them. They also went out at the first uh, hurdle in the EFL Cup, but I I genuinely don't think they'll care. With... (laughs) One of the issues with Brighton, Carl, is that you know they, they sell Caicedo and they sell Alexis. And yes, they, they bring in DeHood and they already had Billy Gilmore there. So you'd say between the two of them, they can replace Alexis in rotation. They bring in believer to replace Caicedo, basically. But Caicedo was... Casado okay, was one of the best midfielders in the league last season. believers a nineteen-year-old kid coming in, so he's potential. He's a development piece. He's not a ready-made replacement in the way that Billy Gilmore and, and Mo DeHood are for Alexis. And you can tell that's hampering them a little bit in midfield. We've seen, we've seen Gilmore and a, a raft of different partners and. At times, it hasn't been good. Like against Villa, for example, it was not good. The starting midfield partnership was um, was Billy Gilmore and an eighteen-year-old making his debut or his first start in Hinchelwood. and it, it was. It seemed reckless before the game. It seemed a little bit of an arrogant move from Deserby to just throw an eighteen-year-old in away to a really good team like Villa. And they got exposed because of it. And I do wonder if if that's... Because I look at their team and I think if they could keep that team together for the next two to three years, I could see them winning an FA Cup. could see them winning a League Cup. You know, maybe Champions League is a possibility because there's so much talent there. But the problem is that when they sell one or two of these players, they're always looking to buy someone... 18, 19, 20, to develop into the next sort of 100 million pound sale. And it's a great thing for them because it's a sustainable way for the club to operate. And their entire thing is just to stay in the league. Like Brighton are a small club who historically have been awful, like a train wreck for much of their history on and off the field. So to be in the league at all is an enormous achievement. And I know a lot of Brighton fans having lived in the area and gone to Brighton games for a number of years. And and they're just thrilled to be in the champion in, in the Premier League. Like they don't care if they never see their team win major silverware. Because for them, like being in the Europa League is as good an adventure as winning an FA Cup.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, I think all teams eventually want to keep progressing and want to keep doing the next thing, whatever it is that they achieve. That's why we sometimes see, you know, promoter clubs get annoyed if they you know, don't suddenly come tenth in the league or whatever it is. You know, there's always that thing of wanting to do more. And you can understand the players and the coaches want to progress as well. That's, you know, part of sport. That's part of what they're what they're in it for. So Brighton, uh, like I said, I, I think also while we point out that they are on a, a downturn in form, they do still sit sixth in the league. And if Brighton came sixth again this season, I would say that that was even better than last season.
1: Yes, agreed. Because
0: you know, you know how uh, at least two, if not four, teams performed last season, you would never expect that to be an option. So if Brighton do finish where they are at the minute. I just think that that's incredible work, to be perfectly honest. Five wins out of seven to start this season with is really, really good. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the recent run is doesn't look great when you just look at it. Uh, one win in five, but a draw away to Marseille on their first European tour, let's say, really good, actually. Really good. You know, Marseille, Marseille are not in great form either, but we mentioned this beforehand. So a draw away to them is really good. And losing 1-0 to Chelsea in the Cup, not the end of the world. It's those two league results which make this run more poor, to be honest. So the Brighton, Ast- uh, sorry, the, the Aston Villa defeat was horrific. It was mm-hmm. that midfield mostly, but it was. It, it was, was also Adam the fact that they didn't,
1: don't been dreadful.
0: It, it, they were, but I do think that a lot of that came from being like really exposed, n- not for all of the goals, because there was like certain centre back individual errors, Esther own goal, obviously, but. Joel Veltman, I think, got caught in in possession once as well. So literally all the back four had a hand in some of the goals. But I do think that so much of that stemmed from the lack of protection in midfield and the lack of ability to retain the ball in midfield and move the ball through the thirds like they usually want to do. Now, we've spoken about this a lot, Brighton's approach, in terms of they will keep hold of the ball between the centre-backs and the goalkeeper and the full-backs for as long as they want to and not go anywhere with it until they find this moment where the centre-mids or, on occasion, one of the, the wider players coming back a little bit more, find that space in between the lines to take the ball on the turn and then start playing through. They don't care how long it takes. It's very, very different to, you know, let's say the, the normal type of team who try and force matters through from centre back to centre mid and then go through really quickly. They don't do that. They wait for you to come on to them, wait for the eights or the sixes, whichever, to, to be able to find that space and then play it into them and in turn. And that's when they're away. Uh, it didn't happen at all against Aston Villa. Villa were really, really good at waiting for the right moment to press the right people and did it in like twos and threes a lot of the time. And that's where those turnovers came. And then there was no protection. Like you said, Hinchelwood, who on the ball, I thought was all right, actually, in that, that yeah. sort of first 20 minutes or so. I thought he played pretty well. I was quite excited to see what he had because that was the first time I saw him and he was pretty decent. But as a unit, as as, as far as experience and cohesion goes, they were obviously ruthlessly exposed And Villa. Diaby in particular was really, really good at... um turning over those possessions. Kamara, I thought, was sensational for about the first, I'm not even sure, let's say, hour or so of that game. He was just unstoppable. He won the mm-hmm. ball back and fed it through to the right player every single time. He was brilliant. So Brighton will learn from that, you would imagine. Deserve will take on board a lot of lessons from that. But hopefully, so will opposing teams, you know, from from a Liverpool perspective right now, obviously, because you want to be able to not just play your way, but play against the opposition's way and make the most of it in the, in the areas which hurts them the most. So I do think that that is a particularly notable way to see what Brighton attempted to do and how badly it went wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at the results since the Derby took over and you look at the games that they've lost by two or more goals... So, Man City beat them 3-1. No shame there at all. Arsenal beat them 4-2. Again, no shame there. Arsenal were, at that time, top of the league. Nottingham Forest beat them 3-1. Everton beat them 5-1. Newcastle beat them 4-1. And then this season, we've got West Ham 3-1 and Villa 6-1. And what stands out to me there is that Steve Cooper, Sean Dyche, Eddie Howe, David Moyes, and Unai Emery. All of them are or have set their teams up primarily to be defensive, soak-up pressure, spring counter-attack type of teams. So you mentioned how what Brighton want to do is, is hold the ball in that defensive third of theirs and wait for you to step onto them. But what all of those managers did was they didn't step on; They let them force themselves to make that first pass when someone didn't necessarily have the type of space that they would want to receive the ball. And then they pounced on her, each and every time against those teams. I think those five managers... Howe is an interesting case, and we'll talk about him at some other time. But all of the others they've made their bones with solid back for in midfield and we'll grind out points. We'll try and win our home games and we'll grind out points away. They're all that same type of manager who have that same type of mindset. And they're varying degrees, obviously. They're varying levels of manager, but the the blueprint for them all is pretty much the same. And Howe has adopted that blueprint – at Newcastle. Newcastle with a joint best defensive record in the league last year. So that is the book on Bright. Make them make that first decision. Don't make it for them. And then press. Do not press the centre-backs. Press the midfielder or the wide midfielder who drops back in and is forced to take the ball as opposed to somebody who has space to receive the ball. And that's basically what's happened to them in these games. The other thing that all these teams have in common is you've got Awanye, Calvert-Lewin, um, Isaac and Callum Wilson, Antonio and Ollie Watkins. Big, powerful, quick number nines. Because their centre-backs struggle in transition against big, powerful, quick number nines. Now, we're not the type of team who'll wait to press. We like to press the centre-backs and force the issue. But we do have that big, powerful, quick number nine. So I do think if we can be a little bit disciplined in our game plan here, this is the type of game where I could see Darwin having a lot of success against their centre-backs. Hello.
0: I I would hope so. Um, I think he looks in really, I know we're going to talk again about him missing that three-yard open goal, fine, but I think he looks in really good form. His movement and his touch and his intensity about play is all the things which I think makes much more um, sense about whether a player is in good form or not, the decision-making and the first touch and all the rest of it. The end result, you know, whether it's a a save or a shot or a pass or whatever it is, then yes, okay, that's often the most important aspect. But in general, he is, I think, in really, really good shape. I think he's Mm. he's been so proactive. He's been a lot more uh, relentless with his his harassing and his closing down and his off-the-ball work has been through the roof. And, you know, shooting-wise, I think he, he keeps getting into such good positions. It's inevitable that he will miss a few just by way of not quite having the absolute highest concentration level that the very elite number nines do yet.
1: Yeah. And I I think we just look a better team with him as well. I think last night you could see it first half. We looked a lot better than we did second half. He's just, he's a chance machine. Like whether it's for him or others, Darwin enables us to create tons and tons of chances. And, yeah, he he does miss some that you just think, how on earth have you missed that? Like, he's had two recently that were <laughs> fairly awful misses, but he's still putting in all the work. He's still making the runs. He's still causing centre-backs absolute nightmares. And as long as he's doing that and we're winning games, I'm, I'm not all that plushed. Like, I think the goals will come for him because... I think when you get as many opportunities as him, and we've seen at times when he is fully focused, when he is locked in, that he can be a good finisher. Like we've seen him score some outstanding goals. He's already got four goals this season in nine appearances. Last season, he got 15 and 42. I think he's going to hit a rich vein of of form at some point where he gets like 10 goals in eight games. Because I just think he's he's got that type of streaky nature to him. And he just gets in great positions over and over and over again. And he's willing to make the run over and over and over again. Speaking of really good number nines, um, Brighton have a couple. They've got Joe Pedro, who's kind of a, a nine and a half. Can play as the nine, can play as the 10, can play just off a striker. I've been really impressed with him since he's joined in the summer. And then they've got Evan Ferguson, who at 18 years of age will turn 19 in two weeks. is already being linked to all the top clubs and seems to have a very level head in his shoulders, has made good choices in his career to date. Like, those two will be problematic for us. They also have Danny Welbeck, who all managers seem to have like a teacher's pet type. We, Klopp has had a bunch of them over the years. De Zerby seems to have a couple as well. One of them is a former Red and Adam Lallana. And the other one is him, Danny Welbeck. And there are games where Danny Welbeck is good, but there's a lot of games where Danny Welbeck is not good. And I, I'm I'm really hopeful that at some point De Zerbe will just say, you know what, fuck it, we're going with Ferguson as the nine and we're going to play Joe Pedro just often. And that's what I'm going to do because they're the two best guys I have while Inciso is out. And I, I don't know when Inciso's is due back. and um, There's varying reports on what his injury is. It, you, you said it, you thought it was a, a patella tendon. Some people have said it's a tear. Some people have said it's just a strain. It's this, it's that. Don't know yet what, what it actually is. If it's a tear, he's, he's done for the season. If not, he might be back in a few months. But like, in, in those three, they're all players I'd like us to be keeping an eye on for, for differing roles, differing reasons. What do you make of the Brighton attack? It, you can include the wingers here. So you've got Ansu Fati, who's in on loan, can play anywhere in the attack. Simon Adingra, who's had a really good start to the season and just looks an electric talent. Uh, Facundo Buenanote who's had a bit of an up-and-down time, I think it's fair to say, since joining. And then, obviously, Karim Matoma, who's a good bit older than the rest at 26, but he tore us apart last season. And also Solly March, who has found the form of his life at age 28 onwards. What do you make of this attack? Because to me... Like, individually, it's one of the stronger groups in the league.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's in terms of numbers, for sure. Um, I think the only reason it's not one of the best is because obviously some of them have not done it for long enough yet or hit the heights that maybe they will be capable of in the future. If this exact group was still together two years down the line, I doubt there would be much discussion. Most people would probably think that most of them were at the very least, Europa League, if not Champions League quality, to be perfectly honest. I really like Pedro. I think he's a really, really good forward, good movement, good hold-up play. I think he has a good mix of um, sort of the technical traits, but also the intelligence in his game as well that you want for a forward lead in the line. Personally, I've always liked Ansu Fati playing centrally. Doesn't obviously get the chance too much, but Brighton seem to be happy to give him the chance to do that at the minute. Uh, certainly when he's been coming on as a sub, it's been... Mainly from um, central areas are able to play off a forward. And I think it's quite natural that as more time goes on, it will be Ferguson, who's the starting number nine. But I, I would say, even with the build that he has, it's probably still the right side of caution at the minute where yes. he's starting and coming on as sub because he is still only 18. So, well, you know, it's been probably eight years of people saying Danny Welbeck shouldn't start any longer um he is 32 now it feels like he should be a lot older than that to be honest but he is 32 i think it's fine for him to still be doing quite an important job similar to not in a similar way but a similar type of job to when we spoke about dominic solanke before previously for example um in terms of like being a facility for other people i think welbeck's movement is actually much better now than it was you know three four years ago for example i think he's a lot more proactive he's a lot better at running channels and occupying defenders now. So that maybe benefits Ferguson. It benefits Fatih. It benefits whoever else. Um Mitoma, I don't think has actually started this season as well as he was playing last season. And this is one of the things that we said we were going to be looking out for, not just from him, but from people like, uh Skelly, for example, how, how much or how close can you go to replicating a really, really good season? next time around when you've still got to do it again and again and again. If you're talking about these players being £60, £70, 80000000 million pound worth in the transfer market, that's what we want to see from them this season. I don't think Matoma has been quite there yet this season. Um, you know, Hopefully he keeps that going for another weekend. We won't mind that. But when it works for him, he's so difficult to stop. He's already had, even if this season as a whole has not been of the most remarkable level he's capable of. He's still had a few moments in games where you say, like, that's... Nobody else in the league looks like they can do that at the moment. Like some of the chances he's created, the solo goal he scored a couple of weeks back, who I had completely forgotten who it was against Wolves. That's his best, right? Um, like I, I don't see anybody else in the Premier League at the minute who looks capable of doing that on a even vaguely regular basis. Um, he is so, so difficult to stop in full flow, but I, I just don't think that at the minute he is in full flow. And again, maybe that is something to do with the starting to play twice a week. Every yeah. week, that is a big thing to take on board. So, I really like the group. I think the most talented of them, still, is Ansu by by some distance. I think and Cesar looks an amazing player, but everything about that is going to be on pause for now. Um, and Adingra, to be honest, I'm still, you know, this is my first season of watching him. So, I, I'm, you know, you know, after 200 minutes, I'm not going to be forming too many um, hard. Concrete opinions, but he does look a player. One or not has not really had much of a look in this season. So he's, again, a very young player who you're just going to have to accept that there are times he's going to be well out of the picture and other times he probably looks like he's on the verge of being a £50 million transfer. That's just what comes with being a teenager in an attacking team. The biggest and best thing about Brighton is that they've given themselves these players and they can work with them all and they can give patience and time and room for all of them to make mistakes and still have other really good starters there anyway.
1: Yeah. I mean, they've, they've got them all in on, you know, long contracts, you know, it, development isn't linear. So maybe when needs a loan or two to, to, you know, to kick on his development where he will see more regular minutes, I mean, it's easy to forget, but Alexis McAllister, when he was signed, had the first year on loan, The second year at Brighton, he was basically just a squad player. It was year three. Well, it was kind of year two and a half before he really started to show what he was capable of. And then obviously last season took the big jump and and established himself as as what he is. Um, There's just so much talent there. and, And obviously the age profiles of all these players is really beneficial to Brighton because they can continue to work with them and develop them. It looks like Matoma is going to sign a new a new deal as well to lock him in for a couple more years. So they don't they don't seem like they're desperately in need of you know well we've we've got to sell another one in the summer we've got to find our, our next Caicedo to sell with someone that we you know we can make a huge amount of money on. Evan Ferguson and Jay Pedro are contracted till twenty twenty eight, and Ciso and Bueno Nota till twenty twenty six, a till twenty twenty six. And Matoma's 2025, but you'd expect at least a two-year extension. So that'll be 2027. So it gives them a lot of breathing room and also obviously means that they can command even higher fees. They're not as strong in midfield, uh, but they do have some quality players in there. Mo Hood, Billy Gilmore, Pascal Gross, who, like Solly March, has just had the best season of his career and continues to improve. And he's just become... A, a a German senior international at the age of of thirty two, which I'm not sure anybody would have predicted. Because when he first came to Brighton, he started off really well. He the first couple of seasons were really good, and then he sort of dipped. And you thought, oh, well, he's late twenties now. He's you know he, he's starting to tail off a little bit. But last season he was outrageously good, and this season he's been he's been very good for them again. Um, His versatility is absolutely key for them, like midfield, wing, 10, right back, holding midfield. He'll just slot in wherever Deserby needs and give a really good measured performance. And then the other options in there, like I mentioned Beliba, they're still waiting on Jakob Motor to come back and I'm not really sure what the situation is there because he's been out an extraordinarily long time with a torn ACL. And in February, they were talking about he's maybe maybe a month or two away. But here we are in October and he still hasn't played. And he's been out now. It must be the best part of 18 months with this torn ACL. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe it's one that he had a setback or they're just
0: having to be extra cautious with him. But if he obviously doesn't play anytime soon in the next month or two then you expect maybe a loan in January see if he can just get some action again in the second half of the campaign
1: two other exciting young midfielders they have under contract I just want to mention they're out on loan this season Yasin yari who's on loan at Coventry a really really good young Swedish midfielder um, I think probably a long term starter for them and Kasper Kozlowski, the young pole, who's at Vietas Arnhem again for second season. He's very, very talented. And also Andrew Moran, who's more of a 10 but can play in midfield. Uh, he's on loan at Blackburn, has, has had some really good games for them. Defensively, though, Carlos, where they're a little bit weaker. Now, I thought of Stupin in last season was probably the one of the two best left backs in the league, along with Nathan Aki. He hasn't started this season as well either. And it's notable that both him and Matoma have just taken a slight step back because that partnership then, that side last year, was just devastating. They were both unbelievably good all year long. They haven't been quite as good this year. Tariq Lamptey is sort of the backup fullback who fills in on either side. Joel Veltman has definitely taken a couple of steps back over the last 18 months. And I thought he was one they'd look to replace in the summer. Uh, the backup right back, I suppose, is nominally Milner, but he's out at the moment with a muscle injury. But I'm not really sold on this centre-back group. I think Adam Webster has regressed. I'm not sure he's he's suited to this expansive style. I know Graham Potter plays a possession-based game, but his football isn't very expansive, and Webster looked really good under him. He hasn't looked nearly as good under Deserby. Lewis Dunk is obviously a good centre-back but he is now 31 he's never been the quickest and he is slowing down a little bit so he's had some really poor performances this year John uh, Jan-Paul Van Heck is only a young defender at 23 but he just always seems to have a big error in him always and then Igor Julio who they signed in the summer it's too early to judge but you know he, he hasn't been great but he hasn't played a whole bunch I do think that area when you compare it to the options in midfield and the quality up front I do think if you take a stooper in, in particular out and he is out this weekend I do think it's quite a it's quite a weak group whereas that attacking group and you know you, you'd look at and say that's potentially champions league as you said the midfield is solidly a top half midfield I'm not sure that defense is good enough to go with the rest of what they have. I think it might be something they need to start addressing come January.
3: I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. (laughs) This is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV.
0: Steel to Verbruggen yet um, not sure of the reasons for that obviously Verbruggen started a couple of games earlier on in the season and you mentioned looked like they had then made the move but Steele came back in so mm-hmm. you know when maybe that'll be one for the after the international break something like that maybe it was just a, a bedding in process that they really want for him it's a, an odd situation at the minute where they spent quite big on him and obviously haven't yet made the move to to make him the number one so we'll see how and when that happens Um, I agree that there's a little bit of depth missing there as well as maybe an extra quality centre-back. But I suppose when you are targeting that area of the market where it is definitely not tried and tested at the highest level, they're players that they feel can make the step up and be really good at the top level. Maybe you're going to get a couple of them wrong along the way or maybe the player just isn't going to be able to make the step that he looked like he could initially. Um, So I don't think that that's particularly problematic given the fact that as we mentioned they still did have a really good start to the season Yeah, but yeah if, you, if you're trying to obviously then think that let's say Chelsea later on in the season go on a fantastic winning run and get their team sorted out and the rest of it it will then be very difficult to stick inside the top six top seven if you haven't got your own defensive work sorted out completely as well
1: Yeah and I think obviously like when when Lamptey came in he, he looked like he was going to be something really special there and then he had that horrific hamstring injury. And then he had another hamstring injury. And it's clearly affected his development. And they're they're super careful with him and how many minutes he plays and when he plays. And they don't take any risks with him at all. Um, De obviously, he likes to have one attacking fullback and then one who's a bit more conservative. So be it Veltman or James Milner which puts Lamptey sort of having to play left back a bit more as the backup to a stupid and, and he's played some games there and looked good there. He was very good there against United. But he's obviously a right back and he, he likes to go on the outside and beat people and he can cause absolute mayhem getting forward. So his his injuries have, have kind of held him back. Webster and Dunk are both, so they're in the late 20s, early 30s. Veltman is early 30s. I just think maybe they could they could do a targeting one or two more of the the kind of high-end young talents that they've found for the attacking and midfield regions. And they're probably harder to find, but you'd put your faith in Brighton if you were to put it in anybody to, to find at least one uh in, in the January market if they are looking. You mentioned the goalkeeping situation. It is odd. Like Jason Steele was so bad against Villa, I didn't think we'd see him again for a while. But then he started last night, Um and by all accounts had had a solid enough game. Maybe could have done a bit better on one of the goals, but he, he's not a Premier League caliber goalkeeper. and never has been. It was very strange when Deserby made the decision to to drop Robert Sanchez, who was you know their homegrown, highly touted goalkeeper. Even though, again, I'm not a fan. Never have been. Jason Steele had struggled to be a number two in the championship or number one in the championship at Sunderland. So it was a bit of a surprise when De Zerbe decided having, you know, this guy has been at the club now. uh, He'd been there four years. He played nine games total and only one of them was in the league. And then all of a sudden he plays 21 games last year. And much of it is because of, how patient he is again with the ball at his feet, like those centre backs. And Deserbi made it very clear, like he's just more suited to what I'm looking for on the ball than Robert Sanchez is. But I mean, there's no doubt Robert Sanchez, for his flaws, is a better goalkeeper than him. But he's gone now, and there's no doubt that Bart Verbruggen's a better goalkeeper than him. But he's not getting the the push that he probably needs.
0: Yeah, possibly not. Um, I mean, like I say, it could just be they were waiting to get maybe through to the international break or maybe there was a particular cup game or whatever that they had in mind. But you'd, uh, well, I would think that if they were going to be making a change, obviously off the back of these results that they've had recently, if they do happen to lose to ourselves and maybe Manchester City either side of the international break, then maybe that's where you start to look at making a change. Uh You then have back-to-back home games very quickly with Irens and Fulham and then away to Everton. So maybe that is a little run where it's not, you know, the, the most high profile of matches to step into, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, that's very, very possible. Um They've also got young Kjell Sherpen who's out on loan this season uh, at Sturm Graz. And I think long-term they're they're looking at and having the two Dutch lads as their as their goalkeeping tandem. Um there's a lot of promise and a lot of reasons for Brighton fans to be very, very excited about their future. I mean they've got immense amounts of talent. They've got one of the, the best operating systems in the country. Like their their front office is outstanding. They've got a great owner. They've got a cheat code in Star Lizard and they they just they continue to outperform expectations, to be fair. They've also got, like, one of the best managers around, one of the best young managers around. So, uh, this weekend, they will face us. Now, they will have no so no Purvis of stupid, which is a big blow for them. James Milner has a muscle injury. Adam Lalana unsurprisingly, is injured. And Jakob Motor's is still out, but... It's not too bad. It's not too bad of a of a group to be missing because they do have players that can step in. We, on the other hand, no Curtis Jones, he's suspended. No Diogo Jota, he's suspended. No Cody. Um, he's, according to Klopp, today, he's out of the knee brace and walking normally. So from all the very, very bad possibilities injury-wise, I think he got nearly the best. So that sounds sounds promising for after the international break. Um, we've had no word on Besetic since last week, but I'm assuming he's still a couple of a couple of weeks away. Cueven Keller got 12 stitches in a knee joint, which is why he's out. Um, expected back at the end of the month. Thiago's had a setback, so that's not great. Um, So he's not expected back now until November, which isn't ideal. Leaves us a little bit light in midfield with no Curtis, no Thiago and no Basetic, just numbers wise. But we're still fairly strong. So what are we expecting from Liverpool this weekend, Carl? Obviously, Ali will start. Robbo will be left back. Virgil's left centre back. The other two positions, though... I think, are a little bit up in the air because Ibu is currently the midweek centre-back and Joel is playing in the league. And Joel was really good against Spurs until the own goals. So I, I would be very happy to see Joel continue. Right back, I think it has to be Gomez because I didn't think Trent looked particularly good last night. He, he played a couple of great balls, but he just still doesn't look like he's got his legs back. And against Matoma... I definitely want Gomez and not Trent because Matoma eats Trent alive. Gomez has the pace, the defensive awareness, the the nouse, the strength. I think Gomez is much better suited to to, to man marking um Cara Matoma. So I'd like to see Mato- uh, Gomez match Virgil and Robbo personally.
0: I think that's probably the quartet I would go with as well, to be honest. And I I think that if Trent was given the start. Uh, if he was happened to be, you know, a bit sharper again after another two, three days of training, I would still be tempted to put Gomez right centre back because I think he hit, one, he's been very, very good. And two, like you say, we want that sort of slightly quicker option uh hey. on that channel at the very least, even if it's not from right back. So Gomez would definitely be in for me, but I do think it will actually be Gomez and Matip and then maybe Trent just, you know, another thirty minutes, maybe even he comes on at half time, depending on how the game is going. Um, and then he's got the international break to obviously then start doing a bit more training with England. Maybe he gets one of those two games, and then he's ready for us the other side.
1: So in midfield, then we know Dominic will start. We know Alexis will start, but then I think I think we actually have four candidates for that third role. You could play Harvey. I don't like the idea of a Harvey Alexis Dominic midfield. I just don't think the balance is right. You could play Ryan Gravenberg, obviously, and it's it's the most natural, you know, Jones out, Ryan in. That is just an easy move. You could play with Turo Endo, who came off last night at halftime, and maybe that was a, you know, with a, with an eye at the weekend. So he would come in as the six and Alexis would play as as the eight. But if Gomez is right back, Carl, could Trent play in midfield? Could you go Trent, Alexis, Dominic?
0: You could. I don't expect that we will, but yes, you definitely could. Um, I mean, that is effectively where he's going to be playing for England in the international break, certainly in training, and whether or not he gets game time as well. Um, So that's not... Without the question, absolutely. I just don't expect that it will be the case for us.
1: I don't either, but I I watch Trent and I watch him defend. And I, I think that's a lot that who doesn't really want to play right back anymore. Like, there was even a couple of moments last night where I just thought his defensive work was just so lacking. And there was a there was a moment against Spurs as well when Manor Solomon ran him and and kind of did a little hesitation and Trent just stopped moving and it's like do do you just want to play in midfield is that what it is do you just want to play in midfield now and I do wonder if maybe that's a conversation him and the manager have had at some point where Trent does just want to go and play in midfield now. Uh, he might, but he
0: still has to do work there. He starts to do a lot oh, of work there.
1: Agreed. So, it's just not one v one defensive work is 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 more the thing. You know, I, I wonder is he just sick and tired of chasing wingers up and down the touchline? I mean, in in
0: all honesty, coming down to everything else, I would say that he is not in the right shape to go into midfield, judging by the running and acceleration and the uh, change of direction in particular from last night. Uh, there was one running forward moment where he looked really good it was very early on in the match uh, he sort of turned on the afterburners a bit got past one challenge, past a second and I can't remember if he went for the shot or he tried to play the through ball there or he won the free kick maybe that was that one but after that there wasn't really too much in the way of dramatic acceleration and I just think that considering the other two who we mentioned before, Elliot and Gravenberch and the fact that they have been playing well when coming on or getting the, the cup starts, I think that it's you know, quite important that we reward that with the acknowledgement of saying, okay, you're next in line, rather than moving a defender just back from injury into the midfield mm. line and still leaving them sub.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That is a fair view. So who would you play? Would you go Endo as the six, move Alexis back to the eight? Would you bring in Ravenberg or would you bring in Harvey?
0: Ravenberg as the eight, leave Alexis where he is.
1: I don't like Alexis as the six. and i think there's already a portion of the fan base the the unhinged portion are starting to to pick holes in his game despite the fact that he's playing completely out of position for us and he's doing a job there i i think i would go with gravenberg as well if to be to be clear because i think it's just the most you know it's just the easiest transition but and I and I just I just don't think Endo's quite up to the level that we need. But I do wonder like is Endo that much worse at the six than than Alexis? Because I think Alexis is definitely the best option as an eight. Like he's a better eight than than Gravenberg is. I do just wonder is is the balance better with Endo as the six and Alexis as the eight? It didn't look great against Newcastle, admittedly. Um it'll probably be Ryan. That's my expectation, is that he'll he'll get rewarded for his good start at the club and he'll get the start. So in attack then um we're down to Well, you mean Harvey could play in attack Ben Dokes there, but we're down to four really. So who's the odd man out? Because I, I think it has to be Jota. But yes. would it surprise you if Jota played left wing and Diaz didn't play?
0: Yes, it would surprise me enormously if Diaz didn't play and Jota did. Um, like Jota is, I think very evidently now a penalty box number nine. I think last night, even the goal, the whole move of the goal showed everything that Jota is and isn't anymore. I uh, didn't manage to hold the ball up on the halfway line, couldn't take the ball on the turn, couldn't beat a man when he was out wide, couldn't, couldn't really do anything of any note in terms of link up play outside the box. I think Diogo Jota is in a worrying state. But inside the box, he has this magnificent ability to just Mm. find a space and sometimes not even hit the ball cleanly, but often hit it towards goal. And that is and can be invaluable, whether it's off the bench or as a starter or anything. So I think Jota at the minute is basically a number nine for us. And that's all. Um, You know, last night, as we said before, kind of an irrelevant fixture, kind of just want to get over the line. Performance doesn't matter too much, blah, blah, blah. So that's fine to put him left side just to fit people in but by and large league games and that I wouldn't expect him to start number nine and he very definitely doesn't deserve to be number nine
1: over Darwin at the minute. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So Mo Darwin and Diaz in attack. It's a a strong team.
0: It is a strong team and it should do well and I would also just say if Gravenberch does get the start it would kind of be a nice symmetry in the last league match before the international break given that before the previous international break he opted to stay at Liverpool and work on Fitness and integration, all the rest of it, to win himself a place in the
1: team, and that's why he's. But that's also why he's been left out of the Dutch side for this international break. So yeah, it it is a nice little reward for him as well, showing that you know his dedication to the cause is is paying off. So um, this is going to be a tough game. There's there's just no way, no two ways about it. They're a really good team. It's it's at their place. Now it's not the most intimidating of grounds to go to, admittedly, but you know it is still it's still an away game. It's still a long old journey down to Brighton. Uh, what is your score prediction for this one?
0: I'm actually going quite bold. I'm going to go for a three-one oh, favorite <laughs> scoreline.
1: You know, before the Spurs game, I said I would have taken appointed Spurs. And a point here. And I would have been happy with that. I think that would have been a good outcome for us. And I was looking at, you know, the sort of the the five fixtures of of Tottenham, Brighton, Everton, Forest, and Luton and thinking if we can take 11 points there, I'm going to be really happy. But obviously we were robbed at Spurs. No other way around it. We were just robbed. And we should have gotten a point. We could well have gotten three. But we were robbed. So 11 points is now off the table. So I have to fit, say, do I want 10 or do I want 12? And because I'm greedy, I want 12. So I'm going to say 2-1 to Liverpool. But, but being honest, I, I, if we got a draw here, I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be overly upset. I think it would still be a good result. Because like you said earlier, like even with the hammering against Villa and the, the defeat to West Ham, they're still 6th. Like, they're mm-hmm. still 6th. And that's only on goal difference. They're only a point behind us. They're only three points off top. They have been one of the best teams in the league this season. They have dismantled a couple of teams, including United and Newcastle. Now, I think everybody's dismantling United at the moment, but you know, they made Bournemouth at home look a lot easier than we did. Um, the only reason I'm going for a win is because of the... Ap-
0: absolutely at the moment form and approach of the players yeah. and Brighton do look a little bit lacking in terms of the confidence of their own play there is that midfield disconnect that we spoke about um, at the moment our pressing and forward movement in transition play looks really good and that is what I'm banking on having quite a big impact on Sunday
1: Yeah I think our, our, our speed in attack will be hugely problematic for their defence um, because Duncan Webster in particular just don't deal well with speed and Heck's not great against Speed either. And I, I just don't know if you'll start Igor Julio, who's probably the best they have to deal with any kind of pace like Darwin and help out with, with, with Mo cutting in off that left side. I really think Diaz can have a lot of joy here against Veltman. Veltman's quite slow. And if we can just get Diaz moving in behind him, I think we're going to have a lot of joy. So yeah, I'll go 2-1. You've got 3-1. And we will leave it there. Do you have anything you want to plug before we go?
0: Nothing specific.
1: Oh, there you go. There you go. This is this is the big journalist here. Nothing for you to read. So there you go. Uh, we are going to try and put together a few pods over the international break. I think we have one in the Discord that we need to do mm-hmm. from a while back. Um, so if anyone has any ideas or if you've got a club that you'd like us to save as we've done in the past as a club that you'd like us to fix uh, do send them in uh, Manchester United is not one that I'm willing to do because um it's it's just far too funny seeing them the way they are now but if there's any other clubs around Europe that you'd like us to fix um we'll have a go at that if there's any other ideas Harry Welch is always a good fella for something like this Isaac Gilding uh, is is absolutely the guy, though. If he can come up with something, and I'm putting the pressure on, if Isaac can come up with something, we'll, we'll dig into that because you know, he, he puts that much time and effort into them that they're absolutely worth getting into. So we'll be back next week. And uh, until then, take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening
2: to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically